Hey, listen to this. This is Egyptology lessons. And I'm writing. It's the same thing. And you see he's touching the black. You see the... Oh, thank you, Nickers. You see he's huh. touching the black ink right over here. And that's what he uses to write. And he touches the red ink right over here to write in the red. Thank you, guys. Yeah, uh, sure. sure. Let me just read this. I promise we'll go through questions, okay? And we'll answer any questions about the text. So let's go for it, guys. Here we go. Thank you for the gift, guys. Yes, I'm trying to get to the achievement here. Uh, by all means, give if you wish. I just keep reading the text. And we'll direction, meaning it's written in the direction. Thank you for the gift, guys. Thank you so much. Um, this is written in the direction of the way Egyptians wrote. So in English, if we write from right to left to right, they wrote from right to left. That's their their order. But pay attention. Hieroglyphs can go in either direction because here goes left to right. So it really depends on with the way the images are facing. So here we go. Sayings by Ani the scribe. So the scribe. So sayings by the Osiris scribe Ani. There's his name, Ani. And now begins the text to protect the heart against the underworld. So the balance doesn't, I mean, the heart doesn't weigh heavier. So, the, so it balances. So here is the text. He said, right? There's the same word said. So he said, singular. My heart, oh, so he's saying my heart, oh, of shit. my mother. Now, over here, this means repeat twice. God this damn is it. new. Repeat twice. So you say it again. My heart of my mother. You're basically announcing, saying, hey, pay attention, heart of my mother. And then, continuing here. My heart, now these are together. My heart, hot is the word for heart, and this is the determinative. My heart of... Different ages, manifestations, meaning that your heart went through many ages. So you went from a child to an adult of many ages. Do not stand up against me. Now, just listen to the English, right? Don't worry about how I'm reading it. Just listen to what the person is saying. It's a spell to protect the heart against being found sinful. He said... My heart of my mother, this means repeat twice, my heart of my mother, uh, yeah, my heart of different ages, do not stand up against me, right, don't stand up against me as a witness. So don't be like a bad witness. So when you go to court, you don't want someone to stand up as a witness against you. Do not oppose of me. So don't oppose me. Be with me. Don't go against me. Do not go against me. So do not oppose me in the tribunal. The tribunal, which is also known as the Aeneid, do not go against me in front of the nine gods, because they will judge me in the end. Right? They will make the final decision. Let's continue. We're almost done. All the way down here, we're done. So don't judge me. Don't don't oppose me in front of the uh, the tribunal. Do not become hostile. 
So don't turn on me. Hostile to me in the presence. The presence. In the presence of the keeper of the balance. Who's the keeper of the balance? Anubis. Don't be hostile against me in front of him. Because he will know. Anubis will know that there is a lie going on. And if Anubis finds out, then Thoth will know. Thoth will write it down as being a false judgment. And then he will die. They will take the heart and toss it to Amit. And then you're dead. <laughs> All right? So, these are ways to protect yourself. Uh, right. In the presence of the keeper of the balance. We're almost done. The last thing is, for... Sorry, guys, we don't, I'm not doing any invitations right now, uh, except one person. For you are my caw. My caw. Now, remember the caw? And this is the ba. That's the caw. That's the spirit that gets fed. That's what you feed it when you leave offering to the deceased. Uh, the Chinese culture still do it today. They take care of their ancestors' graves. They sometimes leave food there. So they. this is what this means. within my body and that Quite. in the afterlife and that's that's the translation really the gods on top you have sia who which are thought and what's the word thought and Perception. Thought and perception. You have Hathor. You can see Hathor, mistress of the West. Here you have Horus, who is the good god. Of course, Isis and Nephthys. And then all the gods of creation on the very top, the Enid. And this is, of course, the greatest god of them all, really, in all religions and cultures of ancient Egyptian throughout the country. And throughout history, the ever-eternal, the never-changing, the ever-coming and going, Ra, Ra himself. His title here is known as Re Horakti, which is known as Ra of the Two Horizons. Why the Two Horizons? Because it's the Eastern and Western Horizon. So the rising and the setting. What is that? Because he goes thing? up and down, right? He goes in a full arc and then descends into the underworld. He is known as the good God who is in the midst, who is upon his bark on his boat. Because to the Egyptians, when Ra sails... Guy, but he's on a boat and that's how they the egyptians see him all right so that's the pretty much the mythology i'm sure it can go way way beyond that i will say one last thing once your heart is found true i'm just going to read the first sentence so thoth has written your name down and now you know your true voice and it says it right here word so sorry word medu jeded in word spoken by Thoth, there is the title of Thoth. Jehuti is his original name. Uh, Thoth is what we say, or Sothis, but he is known as Jehuti. This is Jehu, and then you have the two complement words, T, T-E, T-E, so Jehuti. Right? And he is Jehuti, or Thoth. He is the judge of truth. These words are combined together. You have the word truth and the word judge. The horns are considered the word judge. 
truth. So the judge of truth of the preposition of down here, the pesajet or the aeneid or the great, that's the word ea, the adjective with the noun, so the great aeneid, and who are they? The great, he is the judge of all these. He makes the judgment and they agree, they, vow, they, they confirm it. In the presence, right? Thought is in the presence, which is in the presence of Osiris. Now, Osiris is not here. He's dead. He's in the underworld. But he is doing it on behalf of Osiris. So that's what thought is. And that's it, everybody. That's really what I wanted to say. Do we have any questions or anything like that? And then I think I'll bring the Salt Witch, if she's still around, in for the first time ever. I don't think I've done anybody live with me before, if she's still around. Uh, let me see. What's going on over here? I'm teaching six hours of middle Egyptian homeschool class today. I'm teaching a six-hour middle school homeschool class in ancient Egyptian. Any suggestions? Wow, where do you even, where do you even begin, uh, Chandler Holland? So much to teach. I'd say just go with history. Uh, just go through a very brief history of Egypt. I think children will find that very interesting. Uh, or you can discuss the gods, discuss the creation myth. I think children love the creation myth of the gods. It's just so rich and, and it has so many versions. You can pick one. And just kind of describe the scene of the of the death. You know, again, maybe kids don't want to hear about death, but maybe just describe the creation of the gods. That's I think is a it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Now I have translated all this before. All this is complete. There are 137. I mean, there are 37 plates, right? There are 37 plates, and I've translated them all. They're all on YouTube. Word for word, like I've divided the text. I don't just read it in English. I divide it, so I hope you get to learn the word. So, you know, I, I divided a red line here, a red line there, so you know what every word means. So you grow your vocabulary. So definitely check it out on YouTube. All right, I'm sorry. Any other questions? Sorry, my friend, truth is coming. Oh, okay, so... Um, the commentators sometimes. What was called? Cause like your spirit be given energy. So that's what the call was. Uh, what else do we have here? What book is this? So this is the 30 off Amazon. Uh, it's probably the most completely large, not the largest, but the most beautifully decorated book of the dead preserved at the British Museum. Um, what else? Sorry, awesome car, very cool. Thank you, how accurate is the Egyptian mythology, Moon Knight? No, it's not that accurate. Sadly, Moon Knight is based on a graphic novel. I can't remember who wrote it, something, I forget his name. But you got a lot of the ideas wrong, but that's okay, it's just a comic book from the 80s. It, remember, Egyptian mythology is still not taken very seriously in Hollywood. It's just not serious. Moon Knight did its best, it did do pretty well, a lot of mistakes, and I did do videos. You can go on my TikTok and find the Moon Knight videos and inaccuracies. But on the whole, they managed to do pretty well with whatever information they could put together. They are trying to make it entertaining, but I think the mythology is so incredible that you could make it entertaining. I could talk for hours and explain the details, but the problem is people in Hollywood, when they try to find professionals, sadly the academics are just academics. They don't know how to share the passion of it. 
explaining a beautiful myth, the stories. You know, like when you listen to Greek myth, Roman myth, even Lord of the Rings. You guys love it, Lord of the Rings? People tell the stories and you fall in love with it because it's done so well. And you could easily share beautiful stories of mythology and really something that would touch your heart. It's very poetic. It's got a lot of connection to, the, to, to humanity. So there's a lot of beautiful connections. There is a lovely story of the two sisters. You would not imagine. In the, it's a much later, it's a later text from the later kingdom, but it, it's such a wonderful story of the two sisters. It would touch your heart if you just read it. Um, one day I'll hopefully publish it on YouTube and you guys can read it because it's not out there for some strange reason. Yeah, I, do, I used to teach French. I don't teach French anymore. Isis and Nephthys, the two sisters, right? Isis or Aset and Nephthys. Um, it's a nice book. I don't like they call Netter, what they call Netter. Do you have any Royal Ontario? Wait, what's that? Have you? Yeah, I've been to the Royal Ontario Museum. I usually go to it quite often. Our collection is not that great, but it is what it is. Uh, I hope they expand on it one day. Any, what do you think? There are many birds. Oh, there are tons of birds in Egypt. Uh, I taught myself to answer the question to Kami Deneen. I taught myself. I have a huge passion for Egyptology, especially hieroglyphs. Huge passion. So that's how I learned. His voice has come. Thank you. Can you still teach French? No, I, I don't do that, James uh, Wesley. I think you should just find a French teacher somewhere. Uh, it's the same handle, Carl. The Simone. Just go to the same handle. Anubis is a jackal. Yes. Anubis is a jackal. Uh, a jackal that roamed the necropolis. So the jackals... Their mythology is very old. Anubis is actually a very, 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 very ancient god, N even named in the pyramid texts. His he had he was more important than Anub Osiris. Remember, Osiris wasn't an important figure in the old kingdom. He, only by the middle kingdom, when the religion shifted and there was a new concept, that he became prominent. But it was really Osir Anubis, Horus, Seth. These were all different characters in the old kingdom. Anubis developed because. Anubis was a jackal that roamed the necropolis, the cemeteries, and they would dig up the bodies and eat them. So what happened is eventually the jackal was associated with the dead. He was originally the god of the dead, originally. But then later he got, not demoted, but maybe transferred over as the god of mummification. So he prepared the body or made sure the balance was balanced. Then Osiris took over the book Death, and he became the um the god of the dead let me see if i can find osiris there he is you see osiris with his two sisters so there's osiris with his two sisters this is a pretty common scene of osiris he is sitting in his nows or his type of funerary tent because he is dead you have an ancient god named sokar on top and very much associated with osiris an ancient god from the old kingdom and he is pretty much a god that's like really ancient and you connect yourself to him in order to validate the new gods, right? So you would say, if Osiris is a new god by the middle of the kingdom, you would call him Osiris Sokar or Sokar Osiris actually because he had to go first. So Sokar Osiris to give him strength. So here you have Osiris holding very three powerful weapon, uh, scepters. So you have the flail, the crook and flail. You see these often with Tutankhamun and many other pharaohs holding these on their sides. But then there was another scepter, and sometimes the scepter was replaced by other ones, too. This is known as the scepter of power, Was. And Osiris has, of course, his two sisters, which I told you about before. Uh, Isis and Nephthys together taking care of him, because the mythology goes that when Osiris died, and remember, he died twice. 
His body was dismembered into 14 pieces by Seth, and it was Isis and Nephthys that turned into kites, birds, and then found the body parts around Egypt and reassembled them. But the penis was the only part that was missing because a fish had eaten it. And unfortunately, <laughs> he couldn't reproduce or lost his manhood. So Isis transformed herself into a bird or a kite and fluttered over him. And then eventually she copulated with him. She gave him life, copulated with him, and then they developed a son. And that son is Horus. Horus is the god by which all pharaohs associate themselves with. You are the living Horus. That is the first title of, a, of any uh, pharaoh, the living Horus. Horus is the god that is basically associated with kingship, royalty, power, authority, all things. Because when Osiris died, he was resurrected in order to be able to, for Isis to copulate with him to produce Horus. Then, when Horus was produced, Osiris descended to the underworld. He could not stay, stay in the land of the living. This is why you see his body is mummified. He's covered in a mummified form. Now, what do you think these are? Can you guess what these are? Can anybody guess? Sorry if I'm not answering all the questions. Stars. Can you guess what this is? Uh, it's the Book of the Dead of Ani, guys, if anyone's asking. These are fish scales. Why is it a fish scale? Exactly, yes, exactly, fish scales. Why? You, if you know your mythology, you will know why it has fish scales. Because when Osiris died the first time by the hands of Seth, his brother, he was tossed into the Nile, right? Inside a container, a box. So, But this box sank and eventually drifted to Byblos, which is modern-day Lebanon. So the connection to fish or scales is the fact that he was in the water. That's why he is mummified and covered in scales. Um, and then when he when Isis found him, she brought him back, but then she, she hid him in the marshes of the Nile, but then Seth found him again. This time he didn't want to take a chance. He cut him into 14 pieces. And then that's a whole different story. Okay. Down here, what you have is the four sons of Horus. You see Horus right there? These are the four sons. They protect the major organs of the body, and their names are right here. Imseti, which is the human-faced uh, god, had Duam... Um, I think they... No, it's pop... I just want to make sure it's correct. Yeah. All right. So you have Imseti, Happy, who is a baboon face. So Imseti protected the intestines. Happy protected the lungs. Duwamutef, who is a uh, a jackal-faced um, god, he protected, I believe, the liver, and then Kebesenuef protected the stomach. So these four gods protected the organs, and they were associated with the canopic jars. So they took your organs out and put them in the jars, and they're, they're, that's where your body stayed. I mean, your organs stayed. Later down the line, they eventually took out the organs from the jars and put them back in the body. So, you know, cultures change, rituals change, religions change. And that's it. I believe that's the iconography here. Of course, there's offerings of food, incense, and food as you would normally give. And there is Ani, of course, sitting down, beautifully dressed, and praising Osiris and thanking him to enter the afterlife. Any questions? Now... To any of you who love jackals and Anubis, right? For those, I'm sure there's a lot of Anubis lovers. 
Anubis, there were only three major jackal animal gods in ancient Egypt. Only three. The rest are not really important. Just as there are two sisters, there are the famous two brothers. So yeah, we discussed author. This is the Book of the Dead of Ani. So does anybody know? I'm curious to know how your mythology goes, how well. The jackal Anubis is the famous one. Does anybody else know the other two? Well, I actually just named you the, the second jackal. He's the third jackal, technically, and that is Duwamutef. He is the one of the protectors of the organs, the liver. Does anybody know the other famous ancient god who's also... Yes, Kayla, well done. Uh, Wepwawet. What does Wepwawet mean? It means the opener of ways. So what does that mean? So, the two brothers worked in tandem together. When you died, Anubis mummified you in his tent. And when he mummified you, Wepwawet, his, uh, his brother, took over and he guided you to the underworld. So he was your, like, Sharon for the Greeks, right? He guided you to the underworld. Or Sharon, is that Roman or Greek? I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, Greek. So Wepwawet took you there. So they worked together, the two brothers. And that's it. That's the, that's the two brothers and the two sisters, right? Um, so the mythology is vast. Thank you. Yes, it is Greek or Roman. I can't remember. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the mythology. Of course, once you died, uh, Osiris uh, approved of your entering into the uh, afterlife. So this whole thing is a ritual, right? Once you're dead... They carry your canopic jars inside here. And you know what? If any of you have seen the tomb of Tutankhamun, guess what? This same coffin with Anubis and his scarf around his neck was in the tomb of Tutankhamun. It's there. And you know what? I'm going to show it to you now for you who don't know. This is the beauty of ancient Egyptology. Everything is in the imagery. The ritual is in the, in the, is in the text. Anubis Shrine, which you can find at the Cairo Museum. The Anubis Shrine. I'm sure many of you have seen it online. There, uh, uh, wait, we're gonna have to find it properly. There it is, but I wanna get it in the tomb. Perfect, a great image, there it is. I gotta get it down here. Uh, this one's a little jaded. I'm trying to find the nice one. Yeah, that's the nice one. I want the original one in the tomb. There are the old vintage images of the uh, the tombs of uh, Anubis. You could probably find it. Just type the shrine of Tutankhamun Anubis and you'll find it. But I'm trying to get the image. Okay, I'll just use this one. It's a little fuzzy, but who cares? I just wanted to show it to you. Oh, wait, I think I found a better one. Yes. Um, I just want a clear image, for goodness sake. Yeah, this will do. Add. Okay, let's get to the photos. So here it is. Here you go, guys. So let's go like this so you see. You see that? This is in the tomb. This was photographed wow. in 1922. Anubis on top of a shrine. Look, they're identical. On top of the shrine. Can you see the identical aspect of them? Even the way the box is shaped, even the hieroglyphs that you see on top of here, which is an alternating 
Anch and Jed, Anch and Jed. So life stability, life stability, life stability, life stability, life. No, I apologize. Tiet, Anch, Tiet, Anch, Tiet, Anch. Tiet is the uh, knot of Isis. She wore it around her waist. So the Tiet is a very famous amulet. I know we people know the Anch, which is the amulet of life, right? The, the cross with the circle on the top. But people really need to know about the Tiet. It was far more powerful than the Ankh because it was the symbol of Isis. And Isis was a protective, powerful goddess who knew the name of Ra. She was the only one that knew the name of Ra, the secret name. So she had a very powerful magic, and this was her amulet. And many, you see many gods and pharaohs wear the amulet around their waists because it protects it. And they usually knotted it with a string. So it's like a belt. It's like almost like a belt he wore it. So there it is. The, so look at the shrines. You see the original shrine in the tomb, and it's on a sled. You see that? It's on a sled. You see the legs here? That That's a sled. You see that? It's a sled. The imagery. This is, this is Middle Kingdom. You know what that means when I say, no, is this New Kingdom? No, this is later. So this is Ramsidian. So this is after uh, Ramses. I mean, this is after Tutankhamun. So... See, the two shrines are identical. So there it is. So this was the canopic jar that carried the organs. So Anubis, remember, what did I just teach you about the mythology? Anubis is the god of mummification. Do you see why they wrapped him? Now, if you go to the museum in Cairo, you don't see the shroud around him. This was the original shroud. Because when they entered the tomb, they took pictures before touching anything. And that's the gratefulness of Howard Carter. I know people are trying to hate on him and all that for stealing and such. But for the contribution to the academia, he preserved the image. Today, people are looting or opening up, not taking pictures. We don't know what the, the, the way the tomb should look like. This is how it was left for 3,000 years. So why is he covered with a shroud? Because he is the god of mummification. So they sort of mummified him. They covered him like he's been mummified to basically show his status. So that's it. So he watches over the, the four organs inside. And those organs, you can find them in the... Um, in the Cairo Museum as well and around. So there it is. I just wanted to show you a little bit of that. So that's it. You're dead. You're carrying your organs. People are going over. Your friends are coming with you. Your wife is wailing or a professional wailer who cries. Actually, in, uh, in China, they still do that. You have professional wailers. You're dead. You're inside your uh, chest. You're being dragged over. Leopard skin is basically burning incense and making prayers, pour pouring libation. And look here, I, this is why I love ancient Egyptian iconography. Because you are the you are the Osiris, right? You are now the deceased Osiris. Your two sisters are with you. Nephthys, you can see Nephthys' symbol. And on the side, Isis, Aset. So the two sisters are with you on the bark. Sorry if I'm not answering the questions. I'm just explaining stuff. So now you're getting dragged along. The, the, the cattle are taking you over to your tomb. And the final scene, it's one excellent, this is one of the more beautiful scenes of the book of the dead. If you're all interested, here it is. The Book of the Dead of Ani. One of the most beautifully illustrated books of all, I think of all books, of ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead anywhere in the world. 
So on the next scene, this continues. Remember, these papers were chopped, unfortunately cut. Uh, but it was a giant scroll. So now more of your stuff is coming with you with servants. And now you have professional wailing women, women who cry <laughs> for you. And look at this beautifully decorated women. You know how it looked like you could see tears in their eyes. See, they're crying for you. They're professionals. That's they're paid to do this. Too. See, they cry and wail for you. And then they leave and they do it again and again at other places. <laughs> so more food, more cattle is brought over, a leg of an animal and so on. And look at this. I know it's going to be a little gross. Uh, trigger alert, I guess. You see this leg of an animal? It's actually taken from this animal. So you see it has three legs? There's a fourth leg missing. Ma. And it was extracted from this cow or young cow, calf. You can see the tear in the leg is still there. Well, alive. whaling was traditional. You, you can Chinese people still do it today. They will hire, hire professional whalers. Like it's still a very common practice. I think in India they do the same thing. It's a very common practice to cry because it would be weird if nobody's crying and someone's dead. It's kind of awkward. So they, <laughs> they eventually started doing that tradition. And here you have known as the lector priest, the guy who reads the spells, the prayers, all these prayers here. He reads it as the high priest again with the leopard skin. Burns incense, right? Burning incense and giving offering. And there is Anubis. Now, this is not Anubis. This is a man who has the mask of Anubis. You find this a lot in tombs of mummifiers. When they died, they, they were known as the mummifier of this temple. They actually had a mask. We have masks of Anubis in museums. So it's almost like a traditional role. You'd wear it to represent the god. And then you're basically dead here. And again, a woman wailing over you. And this is your supposed tomb. And they put a little pyramid to connect to, to the old kingdom of the pyramids. Because this is a new kingdom. This is thousands of years later. Almost 1,400 years later. So they connected the pyramid on top of just a regular um, tomb. That's usually carved into the wall. Why is there red hieroglyphs? Yes, to answer that question, why is there red hieroglyphs, as I've answered it before, I'll, I'll do it again and again, no worries, is when you're introducing a new sentence or you're trying to point out a very important point, right? You're trying to make a point. Hold on, guys. Right? You're trying to make a point. Or you want to highlight a very important and specific text. All right? That's why. And I think that's it. Oh, here's the thing people need to know, too. Remember I talked about the Ba uh, in, the, uh, in the Hall of Judgment of the Balance? So here is Ani with his wife Tutu. And what they see themselves is playing the game Senate, the game of push. You see, it's like a little, not a game of chess, but a game of push like trouble or sorry. Mm -hmm. So they're there enjoying what they enjoy of the living, the world of the living. But now there are two Ba's together, husband and wife, husband and wife. And what they do is they travel together. So they're dead, but their personalities fly out of them and go out into the world of the dead. And they can come back to the world of the living. And you can see it over here. It says it. The Ba... Right? You can see the hieroglyph for the word Ba is the same as the image drawn. The Ba of Osiris, who is technically Ani. Um, over here you have these double lions. These are known as Ruti. Ruti. The word 
word for lion in ancient Egyptian was ru, ru, with an R and a W. There are two of them here. Why? Because one is the word yesterday and the one is the word tomorrow. Tomorrow and yesterday. The sun, so they carry the horizon where the sun rises. You see, that's the horizon, the mountain. The sun rises on the backs of Ruti, which is yesterday and today. And there's the sky. You see the, the, the pet on the top? So it's rising in the horizon. Then you have the famous, one of my favorite mythological creatures, the Bennu. You can see his name right over here. Bennu. Does anybody know the mythology of the Bennu? If you watched my videos, you would know a little bit about who the Bennu is. No, they didn't come back, but their stuff technically went with them. So it's almost like their stuff had its own essence. So like the board game would end up being with them. So it just, it's, it's sort of like it would have its own essence and it would go with them. That's why it was in the tomb. And if you took it out of the tomb, like looters, then the person would lose the game, technically. So it would be funny if you made an episode where the Egyptians are living in the afterlife and they're seeing their stuff disappearing because people are taking stuff out of the tombs. So that would be an interesting kind of to watch. <laughs> right. The Bennu. What is so important about the Bennu? Historic. What is so important? Thank you. My pleasure, Jay. What is the essence of the Bennu, the famous Bennu? Does anybody know? Nope. Yeah, yeah that's not a light Spring bulb. Light. This is actually a lotus flower. If you Google lotuses, you'll see this is a lotus that has bloomed in the morning and it shuts down at night. I think there's an image of an um, of a bud, of a, a lotus bud. So you understand that the Egyptians compared the lotus to the sun. So the sun rises and sets. The lotus opens and closes. It closes at night and it opens in the day. That's why the lotus is so important to the Egyptians. And then, they, of course, there's the concept of therapeutical. If you breathe the smell of a lotus, if you mix it with tea, it's good for you. So a lot of things came out of the lotus. Lotus is giving life to tomorrow, and it's giving life to the Ba, Avani, and Tutu. So you see that every time you see a lotus, you're giving life. And you see a lot of iconography of women and men holding lotuses to their faces because they want to be reborn, given life again. Essence of the Bennu. Well, I'll tell you who the Bennu is. The Bennu, uh, is there any theatrical practice, theatrical practices like stork. the Triumph of Horus? Stork. Is there any theatrical practices in terms of Egyptians? Oh. Theatrical? Oh, like the Greeks and Romans, like are there plays? No, there is nothing like that. But there are stories, lots of stories of Egyptian life and the mythology. People could reenact it on stage. I think they could do plays. Uh, showing the story. I know there was an opera done for Akhenaten, but that was just for the Akhenaten. Some mythology was incorporated in there, but really it was just for the sun god. That's all it was. So the Bennu. I love the Bennu. It's, Bennu is the closest, is the phoenix. So I sort of does the same thing, but there's no burning. There's no ashes. It's just reborn. It's reborn again and again. 
The Bennu is the voice of Atum. So Atum is the one of the more ancient gods of of Egypt. <laughs> Could the he self-created himself. So before anything in the universe, it was just the water of Nun. Atum self-created a kind of consciousness. So he was consciousness. So the consciousness that we have, he is the consciousness of what we are now. So from him, the ben he arrived. Now he needed to create land so what he did is he created the land with his wife with his two children shu and tefnut and from the land he spoke atum spoke the benu the benu was created through speaking so this is the voice the benu was created the benu now there are other mythologies about this the benu laid an egg this is one mythology the benu laid an egg and that egg was the sun. And the sun was born from the Bennu. So technically, it was Atum who spoke the Bennu to life. And the Bennu, which is the voice or the thought of Atum, created the sun. And that's the mythology of the Bennu. Basically, also, another mythology is when the Ben-Ben, the great mound that rose from the primordial chaos, the Bennu... Every morning, uh, I guess, squawked or screamed or cried out, and the sun was born. It announced the coming of the sun. Why is there a symbol of an evis over an... I don't know what that means. Yes, it's like, let there be light. Exactly. The Bennu announces the coming. Let's finish off this scene. So over here you have the person who has died, Ani, the Book of the Dead. He is inside his tent, his funerary tent. Still, remember, when you die, they mummified you. They didn't stick you in the grave right away. They waited. They waited 70 days total with mummification and all that stuff. They did the ritual rites. They did the prayers. They left you outside for a while, and then they buried you. This is Isis and Nephthys. Remember the kites? You could see the symbol of Isis on her head right over here. And this is Nephthys on her head. Why are they birds? If you were watching this video, you would know why they are birds. Everything is connected to the mythology. Everything is connected to the mythology. Why are they birds? Does anybody know why Isis and Nephthys, the two sisters of Osiris, are birds? There are, they are birds for one reason, mythology. They are not Ba's. They're not like this. This is a Ba. You can see the head of Ani and Tutu. See Ani and Tutu. You see their heads? They're on a Ba. But this is not a Ba. This is a god. That's a, these are goddesses. Why are they birds? Because the mythology goes this way. That when Osiris was killed the second time around, he was cut into 14 pieces. And, again, a little bit of mythological observation, that you don't see it here, but when they wrapped the mummy, they wrapped it in 14 sections most of the time to signify the 14 parts. So ancient Egyptians had lots of symbolism and iconography. Isis and Nephthys flew in the air as birds. They transformed into kites, birds. And they searched out the body parts, all 14 across Egypt. 
and brought them back and reassembled Osiris together. That's why they are birds, because they are watching over the dead so Oseth doesn't kill him and chop him to pieces so they can go and get the pieces, or they've already brought back the pieces and just ready to resurrect the Osiris Ani. This is the Book of the Dead of Ani. There are several versions of this book, several, several, several versions, but this is by far the most beautifully illustrated. You won't find a book as beautifully illustrated as this. Right? I know, I can go on and on and on and on. It can get a little boring and dull sometimes. So let me go ahead and answer some questions. I'm going to go back to the original chapter that I chose for everyone to see. See the book, the Papyrus of Ani. This is one of the most beautiful uh, hymns. It's a hymn to Osiris. It says it right there. The introduction hymn to the sun god, Ray. This is a beautiful hymn to the sun god. Beautiful. So if you're a big, you love the sun, you're very spiritually connected, you definitely have to learn this hymn. It's absolutely stunning. If you want, if you, if you want to know what it says, uh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that it's not boring. Go to my YouTube page and just watch me read it to you slowly. Or you can get the book and just read it through the, pair, the English version right over here. Right. Uh, this is also a hymn to Osiris, so he's not it's just not here, but this, the god Osiris is a I'm glad you're enjoying it, Auspicious uh, Empire. Um, I try not to go too much, but, uh, yeah, YouTube channel is the same as this one. It's called Egyptology Lessons. I have a lot of translations on there from many artifacts, from tombs to, to, to paintings, to artifacts, to coffins. It can get boring, but if you love languages, you'll love it. You'll find pleasure in it. No, there is no elephant God. Uh, there is, the God is not an elephant. For some reason, Egyptians did not. Is there a moon god? Yes. Khansu is the moon god. Um, is he in this book? I don't think he is. I don't think he is. Khansu is not in this book visually. He's not portrayed visually. I think. No, because a moon would, not, would have to be here. Right. Khansu is the god of the moon. Uh, there are other, Thoth can be associated with the moon as well. Uh, so many other gods can carry many other titles depending on the cult. How accurate is English, English versus Egyptian? It's accurate as best as we can do, right? We're talking about an ancient culture. It's no different than trying to translate Mesopotamian cuneiforms, right? Akkadian, Uruk, Babylonian, Babylonian, Sumerian. It's the same thing. You do your best to come close to the translation. A lot of the translate, a lot of the meanings are lost to us because we don't get like there's idioms. There's metaphors. We don't understand the reference. So we get confused. So we only read like the, the jackal kicked the rock twice. What does that even mean? Nobody even knows. The jackal rowed the boat to the tree by the sun. What does that even mean? Nobody knows because we don't have anything explaining the metaphors, the symbolism, the, uh, the, the idioms. We just don't know. So, uh, but most of the stuff we understand because they're written pretty plainly, like when I translated this here. It's pretty plain. Questions, questions. 
Um, is there a reconstructed pronunciation available using Coptic? Yes, of course. Coptic is the last language of ancient Egyptian culture. If you want to know what they sounded like, go to the Coptic. That's the only way. Don't let anybody tell you we know what the translate they sounded like. Nobody knows. The only way we know is by going to Coptic. Coptic is the last descendant language of ancient Egypt. You want to know what the Egyptians sounded like as close as possible? Walk into a Coptic church. That's the only way you're going to hear it. And some Copts do speak to each other in Coptic. They'll tell you certain words that if you know Egyptian, you can detect the sounds from the Egyptian. Uh, I'd say, um, I think if I remember for the moon, there are probably only three gods associated with the moon. One is extremely minor, but the other two major are Hansu and Thoth. They are the two major moon gods. I think there is a goddess, but she is so minor and so remote that she has no real involvement in mythology. It's just very remote. Because, you know, we're talking about 42 city centers in Egypt at the time, and they all can create their own myth, right? Um, is there any other questions? think that there are several gods yes any any questions uh, why were portrayed being so tall height mattered in ancient egypt height signified importance if you were tall it's because you are more important than the shorter person that applies to gods and it also applies to kings and people so fathers would be taller than their wives and children by a lot that's just to signify importance Coptic, Coptic aren't white or black. I don't even know what that means. Okay, any other questions? No, there is no reference to the pyramids. You, ha everyone needs to understand. I know it's, it's so hard to con uh, to explain over and over because the problem is it's not mainstream. Pyramids are from the fourth dynasty, a very old, long ago. Between the pyramids and this book you're talking what is that thing underneath the lotus what is that thing underneath the lotus question mark archaicizing or something you're trying to connect to the old kingdom you're trying to show that you are connected to the old gods by putting a pyramid The Nubians or the Sudanese of the south, the Kushites, they put pyramids. It's on top of their tombs. That I know they. You can check out the Kushite.
going to the questions, guys. Be patient with me. Cathead goddess. Yes, that's uh, Bastet. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of questions. Give me one second here. Book. Oh, absolutely. It mentions Osiris. Yes, Arabic simply took from the Coptic because Arabic was slowly, remember, Arabic belonged to the Nabataeans. And eventually, Islam took over the language and it eventually grew and developed. But don't forget, Arabs were in Egypt for 1,400 years. They learned from the Coptics who had administrations there. So eventually, the language is mixed. It's no different like English. English is a combination of three languages, right? Of Latin, Gaelic, and, and, Gaul, and Gallic. Or Gaelic, Gallic, sorry, Gallic, or Gaelic, Latin. What was the other one? Why do I always forget this one? Celtic. Not French. Latin, Saxon, or something like that, Gaelic. Anglo-Saxon. I can't believe I lost the third one. So there it is. Coptic that have been adopted from, that have been taken from the Coptic. Uh, because the, by the time the Arabs showed up in Egypt, that was like seven, what was the, traditionally, I think it's considered 700s. Like, Egypt is long gone. Like, the culture is gone. Nobody spoke it for 300 years. So it's long gone. People spoke, but they didn't probably forgot how to write. So they adopted the language. Is it true that the reason we say Amen is because of Amun-Ra? No, but I don't know the answer to that. That's completely uh, Amen. Again, I think it comes from the Latin. I'm not sure what that has to do with it. You know what the last scene of the Indiana Jones 4, where the woman don't want to know anymore, I'm like... Okay, could you what? talk a little about Ra? Yes, I will discuss Ra later. Were the Egyptians when... No, nothing... To, okay, we're not going to discuss racial colors here. That's just such an old school topic. And it's really irrelevant here. Yes, of course, Osiris is mentioned. What is the difference between the Tibetan book? No difference at all. I'm not familiar with the Tibetan books, but no connection. Uh, okay, moving on. Yes, but what... Yes, but I want to know how did the Coptic... Thank you for the gifts, Arthur. Community change after the Arab... How did the Coptic community change after the Arab influence in Egypt? Well, it transitionally changed. All cultures change. You don't have a choice. But the language maintained. The culture itself maintained some of the mystique, some of the agricultural. You could still find stuff Egyptians today do that the Egyptians were doing thousands of years ago. It's just traditionally passed on. But cultures change. There are stuff that the Egyptians today are very, they're very mystical, right? The Egyptians, as much as they are Muslims, they have a very mystical belief system. They believe in like jinn and demons. They think the cats are possessed. So there's a lot of these things that are still coming down from the ancient times. What knowledge do you have of Queen Nefertiri? Well, Chad Jordan, quite a bit, but not sure what exactly you, you want to know about Nefertiti. mythologies, the pantheon, the creation myths. Minor gods are not part of the creation myth. That's where the minor and major come in. But don't forget, as time goes on in three and a half thousand years, the mythologies shift and change. 
gods become minor, some who are major become minor, minor become major, some become important in some cities, like Sobek was important in the Fayum or the Fayumic area or Crocodopolis, you know, but other gods are more important somewhere else. Some are not that important. Some don't even have temples in their majors. So it really depends on the creation myth. You know what the last, yes, I think you said that one, Cathead, yes, Bastet. Were the tombs always identified? No, sometimes they weren't, but sometimes they were. Pyramids are, the, the, no, they are not. Questions, do you have any, do you have or can you segment on Ptolemaic, the Lagid, okay, the Lagid dynasty, that's broad, it's huge. To discuss the Ptolemies, it's massive. Uh, to those who don't know who the Ptolemies are, they are the Greek, either you can call them liberators or conquerors, who occupied Egypt for 300 years. And if you don't know the Ptolemies, you definitely know Cleopatra because she's the last Ptolemy. When she died, that empire died and the Romans took over. And then Christianity took over. Anything else? I want to know the connection between rabbis and Egyptians. I have a feeling... Well, clearly the, the Jewish people were in Egypt, so they must have had connection, with, definitely had connection with the... Uh, with the... Uh, the, the Egyptians. So they're, I'm not sure in what capacity, but they did. Uh, let me see, what else? I'm, I'm glad you're having fun. <laughs> um, the mythology of religion teaches life lessons. That's true. The cats were like familiar to, of which, familiars of witches. No, there was nothing like that, witches and stuff. The Egyptians didn't see magic as witches. Magic was just part of life. It was just part of everything. So where we see it as something separate, like pagan, was there long before monotheism took over. What kind of text in this, but not so much, because this is the Book of the Dead. This has nothing to do with Amun, because this was done in Thebes, no, excuse me, Heliopolis, so this is referring to the sun cult. Yes, Cleopatra the seventh. Correct. There were seven Cleopatras. Could you speak a little on the Temple of Serapis, of uh, the Serapium in Saqqara, or Memphis? I believe it's Memphis. Yes, Memphis of Ptah. Well, basically, it's the Serapium. Serapis is. A, there came a time where the bull, the Apis Apis bull, became to represent Ptah, so a living image of a god on earth. I'll keep it brief like that, and. The bulls were chosen specifically based on their tattoo marks. So, so let's say that's the apis bull. They searched specifically for tattoos or markings that were on the forehead. And usually preferred to be at a scarab, like a kepri, a scarab beetle on the forehead. And if they found something resembling that shape, like you can see this could look like a scarab, then that bull was chosen to be, become the god. It was assigned to uh, female protectresses. Uh, and then eventually the two sisters, and eventually the 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 cow or this or the apis was taken care of. Um, rabbis, Egyptians are trying to learn the book of wisdom. Okay, uh, don't think there's five hundred people in here. If, if if others weren't i'm not sure what you mean by that <laughs> um what other questions in regards to the book of the dead the scarab oh well the scarab is the dung beetle 
So meaning of the scarab, the scarab really just represents the rising sun, right? The morning sun. Why? Does anybody know why the scarab? See, there is like technically the apis, but it's not the apis. This is known as the universal goddess. She is the basically Meskhenet, right over here, the great Mesket, <coughs> right over here, that's her name, the Eye of Ra. She is represented as the sky goddess that carries Ra along the path, right? <coughs> right over here. She's also known as the great floodwaters of the Eye of Ra. So there could be versions of her. But this is the Eye of Ra of the flood. So sorry, she is the floodwaters. There is another goddess called Meskhenet. And she basically is the goddess, much like her, who carries the sun god in the sky. Why does the eye, what does the eye mean in the hieroglyphs? Well, the eye can mean many things. Here is the eye of Horus. The eye of Horus was plucked out of him by Seth because they fought for the kingship of Egypt when Osiris died. Horus, his eye was removed. Now, there is a difference between the left eye and the right eye. You need to know the difference between the left eye and the right eye. The left eye belonged <laughs> to Horus. The right eye belonged to Ra. Okay? Know the difference. The left eye become, belongs to Horus. The right eye belongs to Ra. Even Egyptians got confused, so don't feel bad if you get confused, because they did a lot of drawings where they did the right eye and called it Horus, and that was wrong. But it's not really wrong, because the mythologies change. Always remember that in Egypt. In any Egyptian discussion, mythologies change. Mythologies change all the time. Just think about Christianity. What it started with and all the denominations after that. The central, central idea is there, the Son of God, but the stories shift based on... So I have 20 minutes left, 20% uh, left on my battery. I'm going to have to end this short at some point. A lot of questions. I can't go through all of them. Ra and Horus is the same deity. Not necessarily, no. Ra and Horus are separate gods, but they can be amalgamated into one. And many gods were uh, amalgamated. So the scarab beetle, if I can find it, I think I'll end it there. See, here's... God of chaos. So Ra has 74 or 75 aspects. Right? Ah, there is Kepri. So you see the head of Kepri, a scarab beetle? It's, he's, it's the body of a human, but he's got the head of a beetle. And he is on his boat. This means that when you see a scarab god, that this is the god of the east, the god of rising. He's rising. Right? That's Kepri, the scarab beetle. And why is Kepri important? Because Kepri is a dung beetle. If you guys see dung beetles, they spend their whole life gathering dung. <laughs> like eating, growing, but then they eventually start reproducing. They take a ball of poop, roll it up into a ball, and drag it along the ground. They roll a ball of dung for miles, sometimes for miles, until they find a spot that they can dig a hole, 
bury the dung ball, which they have eggs inside it, and then once they've covered the hole, they just roll over, roll over on their backs and die. But out of the dung, the eggs are hatched, and they eat the dung, and then they eat the mother who's dead, and they now continue the same cycle. So when the Egyptians see the dung beetle rolling along a ball, they look as they see the ball as the sun, and therefore the god is pushing the sun along. 